0: I, uh, as the offering is being collected up, uh, uh, are you, any, anybody in here pet people? Okay, we have a lot of pet people in here. Yes. I, uh, we are, our family is definitely pet people. Um, <clears throat> but I will say this, um, was it Thursday night or Friday night? I think it was Thursday night. Uh, did anybody watch Dolly Parton's dog gala? Anybody want to admit that they watched Dolly Parton's Dog Gala? Did you, George? <laughs> Biggest waste of two hours of my life. But we had to be- <laughs> I know. You watch it because you love the dogs. And it was the corniest thing I've heard. My gosh. But we had to see Noodles the Pooch. Right? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Noodles the Pooch? Yeah, we have... It's my family. They know Noodles the Pooch. <laughs> If Katie was in here, she'd probably be standing up and tell you all the stories about Noodles the Pooch. I can hear her laughing every time that, every every time uh, Noodles the Pooch has this this social media thing that uh, is all the rage right now. And so we had to watch the Dolly Parton Dog Gala. Oh my gosh. We love our dogs. Well, that's where she was when she was watching. Oh, you're talking about when we what? Yeah, well, I could have. I could have. I just wanted to be. The loving husband to sit there and watch and endure this. We had a, um, so we are dog people, uh, and uh, our first dog that we had as a family, <coughs> uh, Harley, he was, he was a junkyard dog, and what I mean by junkyard dog is he would eat anything. I mean, he didn't have a problem eating the paper to get to something that was inside of the paper, And because we knew this, because we would find remnants in the yard of the things that he had eaten. Uh, And the the other thing about Harley is, uh, I mean, he just had this massive head on him, and he would just come up and put his head on your lap, look at you with those eyes, and drool all over your leg. (laughs) But he was just such a kind, tender-hearted dog. I just, we just loved that dog. Um, But the one thing about Harley was that he he was kind of neurotic. He didn't he had severe separation anxiety. I'll never forget the one time I think we were actually coming to church and we had lived in we were living in a rented house in Granger. This was years ago, and I, I think it was probably springtime or summertime because we had had we had some of the windows open and letting fresh air into the house and things like that and we we learned that we couldn't leave Harley alone. I mean, we'd, we'd have to get a dog sitter or something for him because we came home and Harley was gone. The doors were locked and everything. He had climbed out the bathroom window, which was set up higher, broke through the screen, and basically went looking for us. And we looked all over for this dog just, we were brokenhearted. We thought maybe he got run over or somebody stole him. And somebody did find him and took him to what we end up calling the doggy spa. They're right there in Granger. There's, I can't remember the name of the place, but it was, it was, it was just really fancy. And they had separate rooms for all of the dogs with even a TV in the room and all that. (laughs) Pet palace. That's right. It was pet palace. And so we just were calling all around, and somebody had taken him there, and uh, and actually I know we got a call about the dog because he had a chip, and come pick up your dog at Pet Palace, and we were there, we went, and he was just having a good time. (laughs) He, he, He was fine because he was with people, and they were taking care of him and loving on him and everything, and he just did not want to be alone. You get that, right? We each get that. It's this idea of I've got to be, I need to be with people. We all need that. We all need to be a, in a place where we are welcome and we belong. This, we're wrapping up today uh, a series on unconditional love. You see, Harley, I mean, there were so many things about him that were like, oh my gosh, this dog is so needy, so needy. And yet, it didn't keep us from keeping him and loving him. And I think it's the same way in our world. If we are going to continue to be a church that exhibits unconditional love, right? That we, we create these, instead of the barriers that keep people out, we take the example of Jesus who drew big circles. Big circles, big enough for sinners like you and like me. And so this has been a, this has been a series, hasn't it? It's, uh, uh, I, just, I was so blessed by the first song that the, the worship team chose, Fear Doesn't Stand a Chance When I Stand in Your Love. Uh, it, it takes a lot of courage to be able to talk about the subjects of homosexuality and depression and loneliness that can come from the way that the world will respond to those topics. And I want to thank you. I want to thank you as a church for courageously walking with us as we wrestle with this. We have to. I want to thank you, uh, and I can't tell you how many people that I've had the privilege to talk to, that have come to my office, that I've met in a coffee shop, or even just after church, and, and, and not, I, I, you know, I, I have an ego problem. <laughs> and, you know, getting the pat on the back that I had a good sermon, you know, that makes me feel really good, but it, that's not what this is about. But to, to share your hurts, your pain, and your struggle as we've wrestled with this issue, that's been the thing that's been the most moving for me. And I want to thank you for doing that. I want to thank you for courageously being vulnerable enough to share those stories and for responding with valuable input, your thoughtfulness, each and every one of you, to contribute to this series. Uh, And we... As I mentioned last week, the commitment for us is that this should be the last generation of parents and families within the church who go through life's, life's pain, feeling isolated and without hope. That will happen no longer. As far as we're concerned as the Living Stones Church, our commitment is that we are going to cultivate a heart for people. Because homosexuality is not something to debate. It's about a people to love. People like you and like me who need Jesus Christ. And focusing on truth with little compassion can actually damage other people who are made in God's image. And we won't have that anymore. So we'll put an end to that. Knowing that you are are not alone... (laughs) is encouraging but think about this and as i mentioned how how blessed that we have been as leadership in this church to have youth coaches and uh parents that say we need to talk about these things how much of a win that is to know that in the church when you're not alone that's life-giving That's life-giving. So what we're going to do just to review from last week, we want to help parents love their children well. Learning how to love your child through difficulty is a skill that needs to be developed, and that's our commitment. And we're just beginning that process. As I mentioned, Tia has put together some wonderful resources that you can gather, and again, opening up us myself and the elders in the church and the youth coaches to be able to have these conversations please do that the second thing that we want to do is to help point help help parents point their child toward Jesus and again it's not it's not about taking the bible and hitting somebody over the head with it it's not it that's not what it is because oftentimes people already know those truths but it's about how do we take this that from this conversation and point people to Jesus. And that, and we talked about opening up the table. And we set the table. That's our job. And when we come to the table, Jesus sits there. And he does the work that he can do better than I can. And the third thing that we're going to do is to help parents to discover what God wants to do in their own heart. And that's not just for parents. That's for all of us. Right? Because that takes a lot of humility to be able to to lay down even our, our, the convictions that we hold so tightly like this and to open them up and say, but God, show me something new. This is not just an issue for this other person. This is something that I am walking with right now, and I want to hold my hands open and say, God, show me. Show me your presence. Show me something new. Teach me. And so as we wrap up, this series, we talked about, you know, how, how when we deal with this issue, we oftentimes think, you know, I think the questions that will come up in our minds are, okay, now, Lowell, what do we believe? Which sometimes I think the question is, Lowell, what do you believe? And I just wanna I just wanna say that I think that's not the best question. Because that's spoon feeding, right? <laughs> that is, tell me the answers for the test. And if I'm following you as a pastor, you you tell me how to get the right answers. Instead, I think the better question is, what do we teach? How do we disciple in the church? And I think as we disciple, not just our teens, but as we commit ourselves to discipling one another, first of all, this is one, the first thing that we teach, honor God with your life because the Holy Spirit lives in you. You know, we think about your your body and and your whole being, how how do you how you live your life because the Holy Spirit lives in you is very significant and important. First Paul will say in 1 Corinthians 3, 16, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? the way that we live our lives shows people what we believe and so we teach this to our children and we teach this to the people to all to one another in our congregation and if we say one thing and act another way there will be confusion if you say that you're a christian and you live another way you're you're lying and so not only do we we uh, honor God with our bodies, but we also look at the other person and we say, and I want to honor you because you are also somebody that is made in the image of God. And so I have to honor and respect who you are and the way that I treat you will show what I really truly believe. The second thing that we want to teach is do not be mastered by anything. 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 We, we talk about addictions. We talk about, we even talk about uh, other people and how we allow, the, we may allow other people to control us. Paul will say later in Corinthians, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial, right? I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You see, there's, there is a freedom in the choices that we make, and God allows us to have that, that free will to move forward. But it's our choice to say, I'm not going to be mastered by anything because God is my master. Don't be mastered by anything. You have a master. That's tough. That's tough. I was thinking about this uh as we have it in the lenten season and and personally i I just was thinking about even little things that we allow to master our time. I heard somebody uh i went well I actually went to concert with a few of you the other night, and I remember the uh the the singer mentioned you know talking about the little things, what God wants to show us like I won't check my Instagram today because I don't want to allow that to master me. I'm not saying anything bad about Instagram. Please don't hear your pastor saying saying that. But is it something that you allow to master you? And the third thing that we are going to do, the third thing that we are going to teach is how to wrestle with the text. How do we wrestle with this? You know, we'll say things like, well, the Bible says this. But I don't know that we, once we start saying that, we all, we have, we've, we've said, in some ways we've said, I know what it's all about. I am an expert on the truth. Right? And yes, we... We, can have, we should and can have convictions about what we see in the text, but we should always be students of the text, and we should always be willing to wrestle with the text. And we create a safe place to ask questions and discover how the truth is applied in our day and in our culture, not allowing culture to affect the text, but how does the text, how does the Bible speak to the culture that we are in today because the culture that we live today is different than it was 50 years ago or 100 years ago or a millennia ago but it's still the truth so we take as a congregation we take a high view of this this is not something that is motivated by what we see in society it's not something that is motivated by what we see in culture that is not the master god is the master of this text and we allow this truth to speak into the context of our lives today. So, in according to it, with going along with this topic, what does the Bible say? Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. Go back to the beginning, right? The Lord, God said, is not good for man to be alone. Now, I, I'm going to pause here because... There's so much more here, and I'm not going to make a tremendous amount of commentary, but continue. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all of the wild animals and all of the birds in the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky and all the wild animals. But for Adam... for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they became, become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Again, there's so many things about that text, so many beautiful things, but I love the intention... That God has from the beginning. The, te- the intention that God had before man decided to take control and to say, I know better than you, God. Teens and young adults are getting bombarded with options about homosexuality from the media, school, friends, and coworkers, but the church often stays silent. That's our problem. The Bible teaches much about marriage and sexuality, and not all of these are prohibitions, right? (laughs) I think we tend to think of it like that. Many of them are beautiful about God's intentions and desire for mankind to be enjoyed, to be cherished, to be celebrated. And we should be open to teach these truths with care instead of hiding it because we're afraid of it. Traditionally, we have seen these texts as restrictive, and because of this and our misunderstanding of them, we don't talk about them unless it is to use it as a weapon to condemn other people. Christians have not always reflected the love of Christ in the way we've dealt with the issue of homosexuality, and many gay and lesbian people have been greatly hurt by the church's unloving judgmental posture. We need to be truthful, but we also need to be loving. Amen? I uh, I want to draw our thoughts to the passage that Olivia read a little bit ago. Let me read it. One day Jesus was as he was teaching Pharisees and teachers of the law. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't say that right. One day when he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem were sitting there, and the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. I think it's interesting that, well, it's something to note because as he is as he is teaching, these experts in the law come and sit with him. They want, to, they, want to, they want to hear, Jesus, what do you believe? Right? And so he begins to teach them. Some men came carrying a paralytic on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. Notice the love. Notice the love. And when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles in the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. That's interesting to me. When Jesus saw their faith, he looked at the man and said, Your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, Get up, take your mat, and go home immediately he took up he stood up in front of them took what he had been lying on and went home praising God everyone was amazed and gave praise to God they were filled with awe and said we have seen remarkable things today I I don't know I've, I've read this so many times and I'm always uh, just amazed at this picture of what is happening. Here's this house that is so jam-packed with all of these people that are wanting to be healed, and they're coming to Him because they want to be healed, but then they stay around because they want to hear what He has to say, and then He has this attraction of these religious leaders that want to know what this is all about. This is, this is something that we've never seen before, and the, people, the the friends have they can't get into the house, so they get up on the roof. And you know, I think about this. What does it take to tear a hole in the roof? This is not a tar paper shack. They pull the tiles and they pull the, the reeds that are there on the roof, and there's multiple layers that are that are they have to pull away. This is no small task. And what does I wonder what Jesus does? Like, can you imagine this? This house is full, and he's I don't know if he's standing or if he's he, if he's sitting, you know, on the ground or sitting on a chair or whatever. But all of a sudden, all this stuff comes down on his head. You know, do you think he just keeps going and just lets it? I don't know. I I think he probably as he's teaching people and as he's kind of getting into his, what he's talking about and I have some thoughts about maybe what he might be talking about what is he, what's he teaching the Pharisees and the teachers of the law in the moment while he's sitting there with all these people who need to also be healed that he maybe folds his arm and just kind of watches the action thinking to himself in his mind oh this is going to be good this is going to be good And eventually the paralyzed man is lowered through the roof, and Jesus, having had time to think about his response, declares to the man, your sins are forgiven. <laughs> he saw the faith of his friends, and he forgives the man his sins. I don't think that the, the, the man says, well, thank you, rabbi. I was obviously lowered through the roof to have my sins forgiven. Don't mind my paralysis. It's no big deal. That's not what he came here for. So what's Jesus doing? As any rabbi, he's more concerned with his teaching point than the miracle that he's being asked to perform. And he's looking and he's seeing the faith of these four people, these friends, who are drawing a big circle, right? And anything that we can do, like this is not going to be looked upon well, but I don't care because my friend needs Jesus. And so I tear a hole in the, we tear, they tore a hole in the roof and they'll do whatever they can to get him there. Jesus is a compassionate teacher, but the rabbinical method is about teaching the text and Jesus is going to do that through this paralyzed man. And I believe that this teaching gives us a window in what Jesus' lesson was about on that day. I think Jesus was talking to the people about forgiveness. He was teaching the text, and in the text, this would have been a tough conversation for the Jews of the first century, because think about where they live and what their condition is, and Jesus would confront this often. In fact, the next part of the text here is the calling of Matthew, the tax collector, It all, you know, when you when you start reading it and understanding that, it's like, oh, that makes sense that that story would come after this one. Because they are under the oppression of the Romans. They're under, they're they're they are they're kind of calloused, because they're not experiencing any kind of grace or mercy from the people that have oppression over them. Why should they forgive anybody? Why should they do this? So Jesus is teaching on. He possibly is teaching on forgiveness. And so, the Jews looked for answers. And where were they going to look for answers? They were going to look in the text. The Jews were a people of the text. And they asked themselves, who was the first person in the scriptures to suffer injustice for doing what was right? You know who it was? It's right after the creation story and after the fall of man was Abel. He did what was right in God's eyes. Abel, the son of Adam. Avel ban Adam. But Adam is more than just a name. Adam in Hebrew also means mankind. So to be the son of Adam also means to be the son of what? The son of man. And the Jews said, God has spoken to us about son of man before. He told us in Daniel that the Son of Man will come riding on the clouds, and the belief began from that, that Abel would come back and avenge the injustice of the ages. How literal that belief was is the wrong question to ask. Abel would avenge his blood, the rights and the wrongs of the world, and bring shalom back to chaos. Abel would be the fulfillment of the prophecy of Daniel. Now, Jesus' words are stunning then. If this happens to be the context of his conversation that day in the house, but Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think it evil in your hearts? For which is easier, to say that your sins are forgiven or to say rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority, there it is, the Son of Man has authority to eat on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your mat and walk. And Jesus says that, in fact, Abel might come back and forgive the sin of his brother. That is scandalous that's not fair. That doesn't seem right. Jesus is the only Jewish teacher in recorded history before his day and since ever to suggest that Abel will forgive the sin of Cain. And not only that, but Jesus is facing the accusation of doing what they believed only God can do, right? They said only God can forgive sins. And the high priest, which he had to go through something, a process to be able to be worthy enough to pronounce forgiveness. But I think Jesus' lesson that day was his continued invitation to join God in his pursuit of forgiveness. If we're going to put the world back together, if we're going to be salt and light, if we're going to be the hands and feet of Jesus, as Sarah mentioned in her announcement, as the the vision and the mission of the Living Stones Church, we partner with God to show mercy to those who don't deserve it. And they don't buy it, these teachers of the law. Who can forgive sins but God alone, they ask. And Jesus puts his stamp of authority on his teaching by causing the paralytic man to get up and walk. Jesus' claim that Abel would forgive sins is Jesus' invitation to join God in his redemptive work. His insistence that this is, in fact, what God asks of us has the final exclamation point of a paralyzed man rising to his feet, dusting off his mat and walking home. What a vision. What a vision for that Jesus is giving us to say, come join me in this redemptive work. In the last line of Matthew's accounts, when the crowd saw it, they were afraid, but they glorified God who had given such authority to men. Authority to men. Authority to forgive sins. Authority to set people free. Which is easier? To say to a man, your sins are forgiven, or to make him walk? Luckily, it's easier to forgive. Because it's been a while since I've seen a person Uh, healed paralytic not that that is impossible but our job as we've said our job is to bring forgiveness our job is to draw big circles that invites all all to the table so that we can each know of the redemption that God wants for all of us to have. Let me pray. Father, thank you for... Thank you, Father, for meeting us today. Thank you, Father, for... this image... and the vision that you have for your people... to forgive sins... Thank you, Father, for commissioning us to to handle the text. And we do so, Father, humbly, asking that you would teach us every day, that we would not be afraid to wrestle with the words as we have done this morning, and that we'll continue to do this. And, Father, that you would help us to see how to walk this out, that you would guide us by the power of your Holy Spirit, which we desperately need right now. Thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.